0: Ooh, ha ha ha! No, I say, I say to the fans that the fans are the fans, and the fans have the right to have their opinions and to have their reaction. Football, everything. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Lewandowski, you know, Robert
1: Lewandowski. Dream team, dream team. Fire, swoosh. I am flabbergasted. And they're here. I wouldn't even let them on the pitch after the match. Get
0: a taxi back to Manchester. <laughs> the only time that tennis balls ever made me
1: angry. What's viral on Twitter for us tonight is tennis balls.
2: These boys are fucking mentality <laughs> giants. It's unbelievable.
0: This is a great football. I'm these rubbish. But, yeah. in August 2020,
1: yeah, taking over, and that's the I'm angry. I'm angry, Tony. I have to be honest. with you. even Kenny, we've won
2: it. So
1: go on, go back to Scotland and get lost. And I'm certainly going to be a part of that. I'm going to manage that. I'm going to make sure we're even better.
0: Two big statements this weekend. Firstly, from the king himself, LeBron James. And he replied, yes he is, to the official Liverpool Twitter account when they said Mo Salah is just absolutely unbelievable at football. And secondly, from the young king of MUTV with the immortal line, same here, Ollie out, Sancho's shit. Hello and welcome to this week's Treat the Back podcast. With me, as always, is Phil and Enda. How are you, lads?
2: How are we doing? lads.
0: As PSG, Bayern, Barcelona and Real Madrid all lose, we'll celebrate the struggling Giants as all of football's resources are increasingly skewed their direction. We'll take a look at some of the big talking points from the Premier League this weekend, and we'll also take a quick look at the Ireland squad ahead of the international break against Qatar and Azerbaijan, and the increasingly good vibes coming out from the Irish camp, as we pray and hope and cross all fingers for a first win under Stephen Kenny, a long-awaited first win there for him. on the Premier League front, lads, it was Barclays in all its glory at Anfield on Sunday as Liverpool and Manchester City played out an exuberant second half of football, if we just kind of quietly forget about that dreadful opening 45. But <laughs> Phil, I'm sure you saw um, Ken Ailey writing today that this fixture is the new classico of world football, um, and that second half definitely had the feel of two of the world's best just slugging it out.
2: It did, absolutely. Yeah, like you said, if we can kind of maybe slowly forget about the first half where... Um Despite like Smother and Liverpool City didn't have too many great chances, and um, the second half was absolutely these kind of two heavyweights who have kind of defined the last kind of four years or so of the Premier League, uh, shaping up to face of each other. It always seems I don't know maybe it's just kind of a unconscious bias about it. It always seems like the Anfield fixture has a bit of sp- has a bit of spark about it a bit more maybe than eddy had. Um, I don't know whether it's because City come to play a little bit more than, than Liverpool do maybe at the Etihad, but it always feels like these games are, are kind of real signal posts for the league. A little early this year to be as important maybe as other years, I think what it does show is that these two will absolutely be two of the three to beat. I t- I personally, I think if a side can finish above both of these sides, they'll definitely win the league. I think they're probably the best two teams on a kind of a one-off basis, if that makes sense. Um, just I, like I thought, overall, Thought Liverpool had a decent first 10. City were very very good for the rest of the first half. Thought Liverpool were quite good until the first goal and then it went a little bit mad and I was surprised to be honest with you with how open both sides were after De Bruyne's goal. Uh, it was like it's a league game at the start of October and these lads are going end to end like it was a cup final. There was no kind of hanging back, no what we have we hold. Real stark contrast to when they played at the Etihad last season. I don't know if you remember it was a particularly dull game for the last half an hour. It had been a, an exciting enough game. But uh, both sides were just flat out in their feet. It was the last game before an international break, and they kind of looked at each other and shook hands at one and one all in an hour, and um, that was the opposite of this. Uh, I think what you're what you're seeing is the benefit of a full preseason, benefit of of okay the Euros were on but no Afcon things like that. Those players who were probably more um, more ready to give a bit more of themselves. So I, I thought it was I thought it was a great game. I won't fall into the cliche of it being a great advertisement for the Premier League. I don't think the Premier League needs that advertisement. But I think what it does show is, like you said, two of the preeminent teams in the world uh, going hammer and tongs at each other uh, relatively early in the season.
1: Yeah, I actually didn't mind the first half, Um, mainly because how depressed Phil was about it on Twitter, probably. Um, (laughs) Or Liverpool having a (laughs) 0.02xg. I don't even know how that's possible. Um, Phil, you're more into that than I am. Uh, But, uh, you know, the second half was just absolutely phenomenal in it. I'd be surprised if we see a better 45 uh, in the league for the rest of the season. Um, uh, you know, once Salah just started to open the game up, you know, it was just a completely different story. Um, and then, obviously, Foden did the same at the other end. I, I think it probably, you know, exposed a couple of issues City have in terms of why Grealish is playing on the wing when you have Sterling and, and Mares on the bench. And I do think they looked more balanced when he went off. Um But uh, that aside, you know, um, we're used to kind of City producing these type of performances. We saw against Spurs, against Southampton, and I kind of felt it was going to be that sort of season for them. But in the last few games, I mean, they were even excellent at PSG, even though they lost 2-0. It was just a bizarre game that they could have easily won if they played that 10 times. They probably win it 9 out of the 10 times. It was just one of those games for them. They were excellent uh, against Chelsea the week before. So it's really starting to come together for them as well. And I think having a fit De Bruyne and getting Foden involved again really seems to take them up another level than we saw at the start of the season. Um, and as for Liverpool, you know, as you, as you said, whoever finishes above them or City will probably win the league. I expect Chelsea, Liverpool and City to kind of break away for, from the rest over the next two to three months. And then there'll be a, a three-horse race and who can manage their squads the best between the European games and the league games and you know, who can manage their form the best. Um, you'd probably still be slightly concerned about yeah. Liverpool's depth compared to the other mm. two teams. But, mm. you know, I thought overall they showed that, you know, if they can get their best 11 on the pitch. Um, and that was without uh, Trent, which, you know, is probably even more significant considering how reliant they are on him usually to, to create. Um, and, you know, Fabinho, again, having probably one of his worst games that they will have in a big match. So... That's you know a positive for Liverpool, if that makes sense, considering there's a lot more to come from them as well and, and they can still produce that type of performance against you know an excellent team. So I think all in all, uh, both managers would be very, very yeah. happy with how both teams played. And I think there's a lot more to come from both of them as well, which is kind of frightening for the rest of us as well who are not in as good a shape as those two teams at the moment.
0: Yeah, and I think another factor that makes this kind of such a big fixture at the moment, is it's essentially becoming Klopp versus Pep as well. Mm. Um, And I think this fixture, if you compare it to, say, Liverpool versus Manchester United, which uh, this fixture doesn't have the kind of same weight of of history on it, whereas that game is more, you know, you don't want to lose it and you don't want to lose the bragging rights, whereas this is much more gung-ho. And I think both managers are happy to try and outdo themselves uh, on the score sheet and get the victory, um, particularly at Anfield uh, side of things. Uh, I think like you've mentioned Phil um, and Klopp. I mean, I'm surprised Jeff Shreves' head didn't explode when when uh, Klopp started spitting uh, tactical facts at him <laughs> in the post-match press conference. Um, and it was pretty interesting to finally hear some uh, some tactical uh, insight into the changes that were made, particularly after the first half um, uh going into the second. Um, one change that didn't happen at halftime, which a lot of people thought would, was uh, was James Miller being hauled off um, a little bit earlier than he was. Um, very lucky not to get red carded. I mean, the the, the 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 foul on Bernardo Silva. To, I don't think he even it was pulled back for Jordan Henderson rather than uh, Miller being assigned the foul. But um, he really struggled against Foden, and it is it is a little bit of a surprise that Klopp wasn't quicker to. To switch something up there at the, at right back.
2: Yeah, I, I suppose it there's a reticence there to maybe throw Joe Gomez in, still on whatever path back that he is on, uh, has looked okay at centre half, but there's buds, it's a different thing being up against Phil Foden. And you did see for City's equalising goal ultimately, Gomez was nearly taking up a centre half position and trying to play Ster- uh, Sterling offside, and um, which, which which obviously you. you you know, as a right back, it's a different sort of situation. He was nearly leading the line in a central position, so maybe there was that sort of reluctance. But I completely agree. I was really surprised to see Milner come back out for the second half. Um, like he, I thought, he he did a good job in that kind of underlapping role when Liverpool did have bite-sparks in the first half. I thought that I thought mm-hmm. it kind of came from Henderson getting on the overlap as as Milner kind of drifted inside. But I think the the bad was outweighing the good there. Um, like I I'll hold my hands up. I. I like I know Phil Foden's a great player. I didn't think he'd hurt Milner in the way he hurt him. Um, I didn't think he was the type of player who'd get outside and get at him that consistently. I thought he was more adrift inside and cause trouble between the lines t- type of player. I thought he was excellent. Um it was obvious that that City had they had a plan for Milner and I think they had a plan for Fabinho and they were the two players I think yeah. that struggled most for Liverpool. Mm. Um Fabinho like you rarely see him get as flustered as City had him. He he didn't have a second especially in the first half. And and Milner like they tend to tr- to to go for Liverpool's right anyway because Alexander Arnold is the worst defender out of the two fullbacks. But I think they really could see that they had a chance to make some hay uh, with, with Milner there. And like, listen, he was blessed not to be sent off. He, like he could have gone in the first half. He definitely should have gone before just before the Salah goal. There's there's no two ways about it. Um, and I think if it wasn't a yellow card situation, VAR would would have called the ref to say. Get rid of him, but they they, they were precluded from doing that, and um, so I, I like. There's no two ways about it. I think Pep, I I, I love how annoyed Pep gets in situations. An <laughs> Anfield he just like his, uh, like he gets. But for once, I couldn't really take. I couldn't. Like, there was no moral high ground there, really, and um, because Miller should have gone. Yeah. I don't f- fully understand how he didn't, and I and then finally Klopp is like, okay, I have to get him off because the next time he breeds on somebody, he's fucking gone. So, um, yeah, I I think he lasted at least 20 minutes longer than I was probably expecting him to, uh, given how the first half had gone. Um, But I think Ender's right. It it, it does show the importance of Trent um, in how much they missed him with Milner there. I think also, for all that it is, definitely the weaker side of his game, I think there was things that City were able to do with Milner there that they probably wouldn't have been able to do with Trent. Uh, He thought Milner wasn't great for Foden's goal either. So, I suppose, it's in, in a weird way... Like I think City had the better balance of the overall game. Uh, Liverpool led twice and had probably a really good 20 minutes to start of the second half. So both teams will probably come away a little frustrated. Um, but I'd say deep down, both of them are probably okay with a draw as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I mean, on Fabio, he, um, he was well under wraps in that first half. But the chance that fell to him in the second half, and I was just thinking, you know, Maybe a shorter limbed player would have would have managed to 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 poke the ball in uh, a Jota, perhaps, but um, I mean, what a what a moment! Um, you know, it's one that's going to be on the highlight reels for years to come. Is uh, is mm. Rodri's block absolutely exceptional? Did you see uh, that? Screen, did you see that screen? Grab oh, yeah, I was just moment. about to mention it. Um, and like the the minute and second doesn't change by the time he's made up maybe two or three yards to make the block. I mean, absolutely unbelievable.
2: It was not. That's a good point, actually, about the shorter-limbed player. Even if somebody who's shorter might have pulled on it first time, instead of being able to control it, like mm. you know, like a Jada might move forward and try and pull on it first time, rather than thing was long. Fabinho's legs were long enough to kind of trap it and then go again. And um, but, like, safe to say, I was already halfway across the room when the ball fell, and <laughs> was like, "This is great. This is it." And uh, no, it was not it. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those bizarre moments, like time stood still, a
1: bit like the mm. Stones clearance two years ago, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like yeah. almost the impossible happened again <laughs> against Liverpool <laughs> uh, <laughs> in such a similar match, you know? And it was it was just bizarre and, and you know, as Kevin said, the time didn't even change. So I, it was just kind of freakish almost really. I mean, the screen grab is just... Like frightening really <laughs> when you look back and see how much time he had. But um, yeah, an, an incredible block and it just added to the whole drama of the second half and kind of one of those matches that will be very tough to repeat um, this season. Um,
0: one of those games where we might kind of look back at the summer and wonder should the City have put their eggs in a in a more hurricane-shaped basket than, than Jack Grealish considering he was hauled off just after the hour mark I think it was I mean wasn't very impactful um in that kind of role that he was playing and again it looked like City could have done with that number nine to 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 lead the line and um I mean just a little bit more prolificness in front of goal um I didn't think Grealish was going to provide that and and it certainly looked like uh, it's something that hasn't really paid off so far for City
2: yeah, it's it, it, it's funny when you look at it. I know Gary Neville was speaking after the game where he talked. Like, I think it's a bit hyperbolic to say the league would be done by now. Like, we're only seven games in if they signed Harry Kane, but uh, it is definitely looking more and more like a, like a gap. The only thing I will say is what City did so well yesterday in that kind of like nearly having you know four number tens buzzing around between lines is also what means that. They can't really have a fulcrum, if you know what I mean. And if they have a fulcrum, they've got slightly less ability to do the things that they were doing in smothering Liverpool. So it, there is kind of a little bit of a trade-off. Listen, ultimately, I think they'd be better off with a Harry Kane than like, and three number 10s rather than four number 10s and, and no, nobody up top. But there is a little bit of Robin Peter to pay Paul. And Guardiola's sides, I think, when they're at their best, they don't have that kind of, you know, between the with the goalpost striker. I think his best sides have been kind of stuffed full of midfielders, and and somebody mm-hmm. finds a goal from somewhere. And um, but like you, you just saw yesterday, with all those really threatening balls being put across the box, and you're just looking for somebody, anyone to be there. Uh, like I like obviously you know how people uh, count these things are different. But on on big chances, I can't remember was it stats bomb or scores on or one of them had Liverpool three 0 on big on big chances, uh, and so City weren't actually getting somebody in a position where to even make the big chances out of the things that they, all the possession that they had. So I think absolutely it's going to be a team that we return to an awful lot. But then you look at games like against RB Leipzig and who else did they put six points beside somebody else as well. They absolutely hammered somebody in the league, didn't they? And then they're blunt against, um, against people like Southampton. So I think we're probably going to have this team recurring all year when, they missed the chances, and they definitely could do a Harry Kane to get them over the line, or, or somebody similar. But I think there is also an element of Pep's sides that he likes the system that he has, and it, it. I think it was a big part of why they were so good yesterday, actually.
1: Yeah, I think I disagree slightly. I mean, if you look at his two best sides in 2009 and 2011, I mean, Eto as the fulcrum, and then David Villa, um, and I suppose, yeah, the, the Ibrahimovic, thing didn't work the season before but I I think there was a lot of factors behind that I just don't think he was that type of fit for a pep team but I still think ultimately you know Foden and De Bruyne are tough enough to stop as it is and with a Harry Kane or a world-class number nine in front of them I I just don't think anybody could stop that whereas with Grealish the positions he was popping up on he's basically played as a left winger throughout his entire season so far Um, and you can see he's cutting in most of the time and Um, and that's pretty easy to stop and it's pretty predictable, uh, especially when you consider he's keeping out Sterling, Mares, or Ferran Torres, Mm. who, who, all who can do a fantastic job in those positions. So, um, I still think it's a hundred million that could have been better spent, um, as sensational as Grealish is. I, I love him as a footballer, but, you know, we talked about it at the start of the season, um, in terms of what can he bring extra to city that they don't already have? And I'm, I'm still not seeing it, you know, especially when you see how uh, intelligent Foden was yesterday. Phil made a great point there earlier that he was able to do Milner on the outside as well as the inside. He wasn't just cutting in all the time as you would expect from your traditional number 10. He He's able to read the situation so intelligently for such a young player. Um, and he's so adaptable across pretty much anywhere in that front six. Um, whereas Grealish, Has always been a a slightly a bit more predictable, Um, probably better kind of dribbling on the ball, but um, that's not really what City needs. So it's it's going to keep rearing its head. I think that one all season. Um, He'll have games where he, like Leipzig, he scores and assists, and everything looks great. But you know, Pep seems pretty keen to persist with him, as you'd expect after signing him for so much money. But I don't think that's where the real fear is going to come from City this season. I think Foden and De Bruyne are still. the ones you'll be needing to stop. Um, and Cancelo as well has started the season really, really well. So if he mm-hmm. can do that form, I think, you know, City are definitely going to be there, thereabouts at the end of the season. Uh, and if they're not, I think the only reason would be because they don't have that, um, yeah. you know, number nine to really um, bring things home.
0: Quick word on Mo I mean, we've got this fair without mentioning his goal. Um and even even like beyond the goal, one of my, you know, my takeaways from the game that I think Incela and De Bruyne were probably looking at two of the best players in the league at the moment. I just think De Bruyne was sensational um, and probably didn't get enough credit um, in the aftermath uh, with the with uh, Gary Neville's uh, joint men of the matches uh, between Foden <laughs> and <laughs> Sella. Um But this this kind of debate has popped up now on, on Liverpool Twitter with, in regards to Mo Salah and where he ranks in terms of. Um, kind of recent modern greats at Liverpool, the likes of Suarez and Torres. I mean, if you'd ask me, Salah had surpassed all of them um, six, 12 months ago, considering what he'd achieved and, and and you know what he's done so far. But I mean, it's, it's it's not even a debate anymore, surely, Phil?
2: I've been watching Liverpool since 98, 99, and the only player that I would countenance in the same discussion as him is Steven Gerrard. Um, I like, I just, I, I can't see how you can make an argument. Anymore for for anyone else, um, in that time span. I'm I'm keen to say because I know like there was a couple of years there where where Fowler was absolutely out of this world, but it was slightly before I was slap bang into it. I've been aware of watching Liverpool since ninety eight ninety nine, and uh, like for as good as Torres was, and he absolutely was. He was the best forward in Europe at his time, um, was better, like best number nine. I mean, um like Salah is just he's on he's on a, on a ridiculous plane and it's, it's his consistency as well because he had that ridiculous first year where everything just mm-hmm. seemed to be a goal and there was a fear or or an idea put forward that he wasn't going to be able to do it again but he just has he's just he that's what he does now uh, and you see that kind of the the assist for the, for the Mane goal is this string an extra string to bow that's starting to come out a little bit more um, maybe not always to Manny. You I know Enda does like to sow seeds of discord there between <laughs> the two lads, but um, in terms of his willingness to play creator, I think it's coming out a little bit, uh, but at the same time, he is tick as Anthony if you don't give him the ball so he can fucking score. Like That's all he wants to do, but I think you're right, Kev, fr- from my point of view, uh, in, in like a modern context, and like I said, in that frame of reference that I have, uh, yeah. I, I think Stephen Gerrard is the only person that I'd have in a conversation with him. Uh, I think he's brilliant, and I think Liverpool... Should pay him nearly whatever he wants uh, in this contract, and I don't think they're in a position to dice around too much with it because, however much they they would get from an any hypothetical sale, replacing them is a whole different matter. So I think, um, I think you're entirely right. I think he's right up there in the modern greats uh, discussion, and um, and I I hope he's not going to slow down anytime soon.
0: Well, it doesn't look like it. I mean, my theory is that they're waiting until January uh, to announce any new contract uh, in lieu of, of new signings. I think that will be the the uh, uh, you know, in, uh, apparent new signing will be con- uh, will be as contract, and I think that'll uh, try to appease fans for the for the January transfer window. But that's just my theory at the moment.
1: Yeah, I hope they don't say an early Christmas present like they did with the Suarez contract. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, he's absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, you know, as Phil said there, that he's added that extra layer to his game as well, um, where his creativity, he just seems to always make the right decision, the right pass. He has an incredible link up with, you know, Alexander-Arnold in particular, but it was just an observation about his and Mane's relationship, but <laughs> it seems to be fine since then. Um and uh you know he was just absolutely incredible in that second half um and you know I I definitely have him above Suarez and Torres at this point I think Suarez probably let Liverpool down a bit too much with some of the other stuff he got up to and Torres probably couldn't keep that consistency going that um Mm. many people thought Salah wouldn't be able to do but you know he's just been able to achieve that um so yeah he's been absolutely incredible and uh yeah, you'd have to have him as one of Liverpool's best ever Premier League players, for sure.
0: And uh, I think this international break might have come at a good time for United um, as they were potentially re- reaching mm-hmm. panic stage status with Leicester, Atlanta twice, Liverpool, Spurs and City all on the way next. But mm-hmm. I'm hasten to add that they're actually four points better off um, than at the same stage last season. So, I mean, the reaction... Online has has obviously been been fierce as as you would have expected, but I mean, how close are we to to Dougal pushing the red button with United and Ollie and all the uh, the you know everything around it? You know, a draw, a loss. I mean, we seem to bounce from one end of the spectrum to the next when it comes to Ollie and it it doesn't seem like it's going to stop anytime soon.
1: Yeah, there is this post-Fergie thing where every United win is incredible, every defeat's a disaster, but um, I have to admit in full transparency here that I've kind of had that sinking feeling for the past three weeks. Um, I think i oh, let himself get a bit distracted in ways that I wouldn't have expected when you think he's going to be three years in the job in December. I know a year of that or half year of that was as interim, but still I think it needs to be judged on the three years. And, um it kind of started a bit with the young boys and you know that kind of defeat shouldn't be happening at all at this stage uh, of his tenure and then a very blasé shrugged the shoulders response to getting knocked out by West Ham in the cup and you could say well they have bigger things to focus on but if you think United if realistically they're not going to win the Champions League or the Premier League they only have two other trophies to go for now that's been cut in half and it was very much like yeah whatever move on and then a Uh, two days later he had an unnecessary dig at Klopp about penalties and it's you know that's not really (laughs) the type of fight you'd want to get into at this point of your United career it's it didn't feel like Mm. Fergie mind game genius kind of stuff it felt more unnecessarily you can make your point about United not getting penalties against West Ham without kind of having a dig at other managers especially managers who unfortunately are better at their job at the moment than he is so that all kind of led in then to the Villa match. And, you know, it's just kind of starting to snowball a little bit. The the Villarreal performance was really, really poor for the first kind of 65, 70 minutes. Uh, fantastic for their season that they were able to turn it around, obviously. Um, because I think if you lost that match, you're probably looking at another season of Europa at best. Um, but again, in fairness, I thought the first half or the first 50, 55 minutes was probably... United's most comprehensive performance of the season in terms of, you know, players looked like they knew what they were supposed to be doing. wan was linking up well with Greenwood. Cavani was pressing well. Um, Shaw still looks off the pace. Varane is obviously still trying to find his feet. Um, but everything kind of was moving in the right direction. Um, and then the subs, they didn't hinder things really, but United did start to look a little bit flat. Uh, and then conceding that type of goal that, I swear I've seen that goal twenty times in the last two or three seasons, where every single United player just seems to get to drag to one, one side of the pitch. The opponent passes the ball two or three times, and they're through on goal. And it's it's getting really, really frustrating to see that type of goal conceded all the time. And it's just signifies a poorly coached, chaotic type of team that we're not really going to get away with anymore. When you consider that you know ninety to ninety five percent of the squad is probably the way he wants it now at this stage. Um, so that's kind of where my concern is really starting to come from in terms mm-hmm. of the same errors, the same mistakes still happening. And um, I think what my bigger concern is, not necessarily the fixtures, because, you know, I think Leicester and Atalanta are quite winnable, and especially if you look back at all these three years, those are the type of matches he actually usually finds something out of. Um, but it's more, I think the kind of, the two things he did well was obviously fixing the kind of, the feeling around the squad that was very negative and very miserable at the end of the Mourinho reign. And obviously the, the transfers he's, he's brought in have been very successful, but I'm starting to feel like there's a bit of bite in the squad that maybe wasn't there before. If you think, you know, the Van de Beek situation, why not let him go to Everton? Apparently, Ollie stopped that at the last minute. So we're going to have to look at this blonde six-year-old be depressed on the bench for the next four <laughs> months, throwing his chewing gum every time somebody else gets subbed on. Um, Cavani apparently isn't too happy having to share minutes with Ronaldo now. It's going to be very clear with Pogba that he's not going to sign a contract come December or January, so what do you do for the last five months for somebody you paid £90 million for who's going to leave on a free? So I kind of feel like there's stuff on and off the pitch that are starting to just kind of go against him a bit too much that we haven't really seen um, in the three years he's he's been in charge, and that's kind of why I said in the group there on Saturday it's starting to feel a bit... Uh, sinking feeling I think Um, he'll get the season 100% because um, the Glazers just won top four uh, and I think that's still very achievable even though I expect the top three to break away as I said in the next six to seven weeks quite comfortably um, and then fourth will be up for grabs but I, I think United might sneak it like they did two seasons ago kind of late in the season but I don't really expect us to be in the conversation after Christmas or New Year if we are great um, but I think the fixtures are just too much against us. Rashford coming back might help, but Sancho's still settling. There's issues with Ronaldo and, you know, the stats of his pressing and all of that. But I think he's been brought in to score goals, which is what he's done. And I think it's probably overblown in terms of his other contributions, but it is a different type of player you have compared to the type of team Oli's been trying to build. Um, So I think the next kind of three to four weeks, we'll find out a lot about Oli. More so, the the manager is supposed to the, you know, nice guy, good guy to have around, mm. good guy with the players type of guy. He has probably gotten away with for the last two and a half sort of years, and you know he needs to be pushing on to the next level now. He's gotten the players he really wanted in, apart from maybe Declan Rice. Um, so you know he should be under pressure. Every manager should be under pressure when you've you know had that much time and and brought in that many players. Um, and I'm just concerned that. The stuff he's done well off the pitch is potentially going to be tainted in the next five to six months, which I think would be a big shame for him because he has achieved a lot. But unfortunately, he's not managing like a guy who has 450 senior games in management underneath his belt, uh, which is a lot of a lot of time to kind of uh, improve your craft. And he's still making the same type of mistakes that he was two and a half, three years ago. And um, that's becoming a much bigger issue than it has been in the past.
0: I did find the team selection on Saturday a little bit odd. Um, I mean, I said it in the group coming into the game. We knew Everton were depleted. They were obviously without Richarlison um, and Calvert-Lewin. It struck me as a side that, you know, put it away early and then make your changes if needs be. I mean, even if you look at the Everton bench, there was there was two goalkeepers. There was a lot of younger guys who aren't necessarily going to make any impact uh, coming off the bench. But, I mean, first of all, Ronaldo being benched, you know, I can kind of understand it. I mean, there has been a, kind of a hectic schedule over the past couple of weeks, but you are, on the other hand, coming into an international break. Um, and I, as you said, Varello isn't... Pressing isn't his game. He's. He, I don't think he's going to be uh, hugely... Um, uh, tired at this point in the season or after a couple of games but even not certain Pogba I mean I think you know going into this game with a midfield of, of McTominay and Fred, I think straight away you're probably handing the impetus back to mm. a midfield like Allen and De Cure who are, who are kind of happy to, to run around and deal with that sort of combat of midfield um, I think that'll probably suit them down to the ground but I mean even if you did want to rotate, I mean, Lingard seemed pretty good in his cameo so far, and didn't start. It's just, it just a little bit odd for me coming into that one. Um, obviously, Martial was the the kind of the stickler. Um, I noticed on Twitter a lot of people uh, not happy with his involvement. And in fairness, mm. he did score, um, but I mean. Yeah, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on, on, on this and, and the selection the, the, and just the decision-making going into an international break that you drop Ronaldo, Pogba um, and these sort of guys.
1: Yeah, well, I think he definitely has to rotate Ronaldo and Cavani. Um, mm-hmm. And Cavani's cameo was so impressive. I mean, he did change the game against Villarreal. Um, but the bigger issue for me was definitely that midfield pivot. And, you know, it has served a certain type of purpose for Saussure and a few few games, more specifically teams who like to have more of the ball, like City, Spurs or Arsenal or uh, Liverpool. So you can kind of understand it. But ultimately, uh, I'd love to see, you know, Pogba-Matic type of pivot in a game against Everton where you're probably going to, you should have more possession, certainly the way they lined up, missing Richarlison um, and Calvert-Loon. You know, I don't think there's any fluke that when Matic came on against West Ham and Villarreal, all of a sudden United looked less chaotic, less out of control. Um, He is the calming presence in that midfield. He's basically our only defensive midfielder when you really look at the characteristics compared to the others. Um, and if we had a 25-year-old version of him, I don't think we'd be having any of these conversations. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, we don't. Um, I think the Pogba situation... You know, he's been playing as a winger really mostly this season. Um, and he was really, really poor in the pivot uh, midweek. So I can understand why um, Socha didn't have the confidence to do that. But ultimately, you know, he's a 90 million pound midfielder who won the World Cup playing in the pivot. So mm. if you're not going to play him there and you have wingers like Sancho, Rashford, Martial, and Greenwood, you know, that was really kind of. Negative, you know, Um, and it's, it's, it's tough to continuously watch Fred and McTominay just not do what midfielders are supposed to do. They, they're poor against the press. They don't move the ball forward quickly. Neither great dribbling past, uh, players. Uh, they basically just stand there passing between themselves and the centre backs. Um, and ultimately, I think that's what will end up costing Ali, maybe even his job. It won't be during the season, but I think if we're at a situation at the end of the season where United have finished fourth or fifth uh, with no trophies, uh, I think Freda McTominay uh, and his trust consistently that he's put in them will be the main damaging factor for that. Um, and you could say he missed out on on a defensive midfielder, and that's fair enough, but he still has options in the squad. Hmm. To not play those two, especially in these home games against kind of teams outside the top six, where you could lit, you could play a four one four one easily, and you know you might win three two or four two, and it'll be a bit chaotic and end to end. But you've so much forward talent in that squad, you might as well just take a chance on them. But he's trying to kind of still persist with this traditional four two three one, and mm. Everton were just growing into the game as it went on, and Decorah and Allen were just taking the pace really at times in terms of how comfortable they were against those two. Um, they were completely dominant, similar to the way Villa were with, uh, with McGain and Louise as well. Um I know Villa had a three man midfield, so that made it even easier for them against those two. So um but again it shouldn't be that easy to play against United, especially at home. And yeah. that's a huge problem. And I think that could be his biggest downfall of all.
0: Lads, loads of good um talking points in the Premier League this week, but one team I wanted to mention is Leicester um, drawing 2-all with uh, Paddy's Palace on Sunday, which now makes it four games without a win in the league. They have one point from six in the Europa League. Um, I mean, as, as a side being tipped as potentially the best of the bunch outside of the top four, this hasn't been a very ideal start for Brendan Rodgers, has it?
2: No, and especially, and this is something I know Dan has talked about before, the money that they continue to invest in the squad. So it's not like they bumped up against the glass ceiling and they're being run in a certain way. And the idea is that they're selling, they've been assets stripped and their best assets have gone elsewhere and they haven't been able to reinvest the money. He's been continually backed. And like, that, that's great. Absolutely. And like, if the money's there, uh, it, it should be invested. But um, the position that they're in now, or the position they should be in now, given the trajectory they've been on and the investment in the squad, is not matching up to performances this year. Um, and like, to, to get yourself tuned up, um, away from home against Palace, and listen, I, like, I, there's, like I, I said the last time we were on, there's a bit, there's a bit about Palace I like this year. There's a bit of cut and thrust and a bit of excitement that's been missing yeah. under under Hodgson. You're you're tuning up against Palace. You should be winning that game uh, if you're serious about being a top four team. Like I, I don't think there's going to be a top. There's going to be a team that finishes in the top four this year if it is that four that that, that it looks like at the minute that that would draw the game in that situation. And that unfortunately is the is the standard Leicester being measured by now. Um if they're if they're going to fall back into the pack that's fair enough but that is then, that is now an underachievement given the extent of the backing they've been getting uh, and what they've achieved over the last kind of couple of years. So I, like pretty quickly I I think it's going to be open enough this year in that like fourth down to eighth is probably going to be you know small enough margins or whatever. But Pretty quickly, Rogers could find himself kind of in a bit of a tepid season after kind of the excitement of the last couple of years and a little bit of stagnation. And all of a sudden, maybe then you do look a bit more prime to be picked off for people like Harvey Barnes uh, and maybe Justin, people like that. So, I do, like I think Leicester. It's obviously early enough that they can still turn still turn things around. But I think their position isn't the false one at this stage. I don't think you look at that and say they've had they've had hard lines, they've been unlucky, and. Um, I don't think they're living up to the standard they've set themselves and pretty quickly that could lead to just a, a pretty tepid uninspiring season for them
1: yeah I think the Fafana leg break in pre-season was uh, a bit of a killer for them because Sionchu yeah I think yeah. he's cost some Champions League in their past two seasons to be honest I think he's a huge liability um and uh their in-game management has become really, really poor. We saw against Napoli they were just so open even though they were leading. Similar against Palace. I mean, these are games, especially with somebody who has the experience of Rogers at this stage of his career, you know, they they should be picking those games off easily, considering the positions they're getting themselves in. They still seem to be playing a good brand of football. It's not gone flat or negative or it's not a team that's not playing for the manager, but They're just making basic mistakes and just seem to lack so much confidence at the moment. And I think the decline of Madison in particular, somebody said he hasn't had a goal or assist since last sort of March, April or something like that. I don't know. I need to look that up. But um, he was somebody who was, you know, delivering huge stats for Leicester in in the past two to three seasons. And he just seems to have fallen off a cliff. I know he had a bad injury, but it just kind of seems to have summed up the slight decline that Leicester um, mm. find themselves in. And then, you know, could he be a bit braver, kind of picking DACA over an, an aging Verdi? I know he scored at the weekend, but does he have the pace and energy that he had maybe two or three years ago? Probably not. He still has it over kind of five to 10 yards. Um, but maybe he needs to be a little bit braver in that regard. But apart from that, I mean, you see their lineups every week. They still look extremely strong on paper, but... There's definitely a, a naivety and a, and a lack of confidence as well, which almost, you know, uh, seems like a paradox that has developed. Um, and uh, indeed, he in particular, I feel, has been really, really disappointing this season. I uh, thought he was awful in the West Ham match in particular. Um, so there's huge emphasis on Telemans in that midfield um, to, to both defend and attack. Um, and Samare, he, he, hopefully he'll settle because I thought he was a fantastic player in France. So... Uh, I thought that was a very positive signing and, and one that I assume will integrate over time. But um, it's it's a bit problematic for Rogers at the moment. You know, he has great PR, as, as he always does. Um, but, you know, if Leicester aren't, you know, in around fourth to sixth in the next month or two, then it's, it's a huge problem for them because that's where you'd expect them to be. Uh, and they're probably not going to qualify from the Europa League at this stage. They have to go to Napoli. Uh, they have a couple of... Their tricky matches ahead there, so mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 a big challenge for them this season. All of a sudden, when everything kind of looked perfect for them going into the new season, I thought they had a, a great summer. They had the FA Cup and the Charity Shield win, and the, everything looked set for them to just kind of continue on that um that path. And it's all kind of fallen apart slightly since then.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I said it too um, after the defeat to Legia that he's the Europa manager that seems to hate the Europa League. I mean, it, it's bizarre. Obviously, <laughs> you're going to rotate in and out on, on those Thursday evenings, but there was a huge amount of rotation for that game. Um, and now they have one point from, from two games and looking very much like they won't get out of the group um, with Napoli and, and, and Spartak Moscow in there as well. I mean, obviously, it's all on paper and they do have a, an exceptional squad on paper. And I mean, even the bench um, at the weekend with Lysa Samari and Decca. Um, Madison, Ricardo Pereira, I mean, all these fantastic players just sitting on mm-hmm. the bench, but I mean, it is a squad on paper that you'd be thinking, Jesus, you know, these could go far in Europa League, you know, this could be a, a deep into the knockout stage, it'd be a nice string to, to Rogers' bow to go off and win a European competition, which is something he hasn't done, and he hasn't even, I mean, he hasn't even flicked the radar in any European competition he's been involved with, which seems like a, a huge slight on his, on his uh, club career so far.
1: Yeah, and I think his Celtic side stu- struggled really badly in Europe as well, you know, when you consider what Gerard was doing uh, with Rangers a couple of seasons ago, you know, making them really competitive, as a top club in Scotland should be in, in the Europa. Um, and with Rodgers, there's there's almost that mentality of, I'm too good for Europa League, even though <laughs> he's not at the moment because he keeps qualifying for it as opposed to the Champions League. So um, I think you were spot on, really, when you said... Um, you know, he's a Europa League manager who's, you know, hates the Europa League. He just seems to absolutely despise it. And that can really come across um, in teams, you know. Um, so he's he's going to have to find a solution for that pretty quickly. I mean, they still have four games left. They have a point, but I mean, that's a really tough group now. I think the result last Thursday night in particular, far more than the Palace result, was extremely damaging. And, you know, I follow a few Leicester fans online and they were not happy at all with... Uh, that type of result I mean the Napoli one was was kind of fair enough I mean they scored really two really good goals to equalize so um, you have to accept that they're one of the best sides in Italy so that can happen but since then they've really lost their way and um, Roger's is gonna you know have to turn around pretty quickly or he will be under pressure I mean Leicester are are one of those teams who don't really uh, put up with a manager kind of sinking for too long. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the course of the season.
0: Elsewhere in the Premier League, lads, a huge win for Nuno Spurs, beating Villa 2-1. Another manager there who was kind of starting to get a little bit itchy in his seat has released some of the pressure um, going into the international break. Brighton, completely and utterly outplaying Arsenal and really should have won there in a nil-all draw on Saturday evening. Um, Shane Duffy in fantastic form there as well, uh, which is good news for Ireland. Uh, wins for Wolves and Leeds, another big win for Brentford later on against West Ham. They're up to 7 now on the table, and very much looking the part under Thomas Frank. Anything particular fancy there, lads? Uh,
2: Brentford again. I'm I'm on the Brentford Bulls now after uh, after how enjoyable. Like I've seen them uh, three times this year, once in the Liverpool game, a couple of times otherwise, and I've just really enjoyed watching them. And they're like they're just they're like I saw somebody compare them to um like in a good way. Allardyce's early Bolton, which I thought was an interesting shout, uh, when they were kind of doing some funky things in the kind of early two thousands. Um it's, it's just great to see. And like, it feels like most years there's a club that comes up, uh, and at least for the first portion of the year, really kind of takes people by by surprise or, or takes the league by storm, and kind of ends up in those kind of Europa League Europa Conference League positions. Uh, and, and like, maybe kind of fades away. They are a very well-run club, very smartly run, a lot of intelligent people involved. You'd hope that this is something uh, that is sustainable, that they're going to be kind of a Brighton, more than that they're going to be uh, a, a yo-yo club like Norwich, who are also well-run, but whose model is on yo-yo. And I'd love it if Brentford solidified this now in the longer term, but in the short term, they're a whole hell of a lot of fun. And that's a great win for them. Um, like Obviously, West Ham, we'd spoken about, having had a, a pretty decent start of the season. And um, that's a great win for them. So yeah, I'm just excited to see where they're going to go um, from from here on in. And you'd assume Tony isn't a million miles away from from an England squad uh, if things keep going that way. And there's probably a few of their players that'll start to attract admiring glances from clubs who are maybe starting to panic slightly, uh, who are who are maybe a little below them in the cl- in the league and might be looking to take them in, in January. Um, but yeah, I I think they've been they've been continuing to be a breath of fresh air into the league.
1: Yeah, really enjoyable. And it feels kind of sustainable the way they go about Mm. it. I mean, we've seen them do that in the championship, that kind of, you know, high intensity, high action type of play. I mean, when you saw how much it unsettled Liverpool, you have to think that it's something they can do against anybody. Whereas we had a conversation last season about Sheffield United. And I think, Phil, you were talking about how much they were overperforming their XG the, the season before last compared to last season. And Mm -hmm. That's really where they were finding their issues. Whereas with Brentford, they feel something slightly more sustainable about it. It might get a bit too open and predictable as the season goes on and they might get absolutely battered occasionally. But uh, apart from that, really exciting to watch. And the fact it wasn't a big surprise that they went to West Ham and won kind of says it all, really. I mean, that's, you know, seven points from Liverpool, Arsenal at home and West Ham away. I mean, those are huge results for a team that has just come up. I mean, when you think of the... The cack that Norwich and Fulham have produced in the p- past few seasons, um, after coming up, uh, it's really exciting, and it, it feels even more sustainable than even, you know the Leeds murder ball type of approach, um, which is purely based down to almost fitness rather than a style of play. Um, but you'd have to be concerned overall about Southampton, I suppose. Looking at the weekend, you know, three points from seven games; two of those points came at home to United and away to City. So that's not really sustainable. So mm. as that goes on, you'd have to wonder what really the plan is there for them. And I actually thought they played quite well against Chelsea, but um, ultimately they're just not picking up points. And they had a pretty rough start to the season in terms of the fixtures, but they're not winning the matches that they should be um, in the way that kind of Wolves, Villa, West Ham are able to kind of get over the line. Um, and then the, the other... Kind of team that caught my eye over the weekend was I thought Brighton were excellent against Arsenal, completely outplayed them, and yeah, you know Graham Potter's should've reputation, won. yeah, should have won. I mean, they we're absolutely excellent, um, and uh, really exciting to see if they can keep that up for the rest of the season because um, it looks like they have pretty much everything they need on paper to to keep progressing that way, and it's um it's exciting for them because I mean they had so many good performances last season where they got one or no points, you know. It was it was brutal almost watching it at times, how well they were playing while having nothing to show for it. So, um, you know, credit Potter and his new style, look, whatever he's going on with that haircut and beard combo. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's working for him. So, um, yeah, that was, as nil-nil's go, that was, that was pretty comprehensive from Brighton. So, um, yeah, I think they're really impressive to watch at the moment. And I really look forward to watching them every week. Yeah.
0: yeah. And uh, towards the end of that game, I was wondering... I mean, do some Arsenal fans wish he was in the other dugout for that one um, and not Arteta? And it is looking likely that he will be plucked eventually, mm-hmm. um, especially to keep up, if they keep up that form. Uh, I mean, they've been absolutely sensational. Um, lads, little quirk this weekend. 18 years since PSG, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid and Barcelona all lost on the same weekend. Um For further hilarity, PSG started Messi, Mbappe and Neymar. (laughs) And Di Maria, if you want to throw him as well, um, losing to to Rennes. But, um, I mean, to pick on one team, uh, in particular, Barcelona, um, losing could become a little bit more of a a frequent occurrence uh, the way they're going. I mean, out of those sides, is absolutely the biggest fall from grace. But there I say the most entertaining as well. I mean, with Coleman still somehow managing to hold on to his job despite seemingly everyone involved in, in, in football hating his guts at this point. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I follow a handful of um, of Everton fans and I mean, their reaction every time Barcelona lose or common does anything is, uh, is sensational. I mean, absolutely despised by Everton fans alone. I mean, but... Suarez rubbing in at the weekend um, with his uh, with his uh, telephone celebration. I think he, he came out and said that it wasn't targeted at Coleman, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't given his uh, his his penchant for shithousery. But I mean, I mean, Enda, what is what is this Barcelona? I mean, it, it, it's 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 absolutely shambolic at this point.
1: Yeah, can I remind you that Kerman's trying to shoot a documentary of himself at the moment? I mean, that's how big of a narcissist he is. Like, at the lowest point of your life, you're trying to shoot a documentary of yourself? Like, Jesus, is it fucking suicidal or what? I don't know, but... um, uh, Yeah, I mean, I was always eagerly awaiting the post-Messi Barca collapse, having experienced something similar myself with Fergie leaving, but I didn't expect it to be this bad. And the lack of direction at the club, I mean... You know, it was very obvious, you know, seven, ten days ago that Laporta was trying to sack him again, just like he was in the summer, but he couldn't find any takers. Um, Pirlo was linked, which, I mean, just would have been bizarre considering his season at Juventus last year. So um, it's just bizarre watching them. I mean, Memphis has played okay. Frankie de Jong seems to have fallen off a cliff in terms of his form. Pedri is just wiped out in terms of the... Uh, amount of matches he's played pk looks a complete shadow of himself um with his facial reconstruction whatever he's done there uh it's just (laughs) a complete disaster uh watching barcelona i i I, in fairness it's not the atletico madrid match i think it's the benfica one that really was terrifying in terms of just how dominant benfica were how comfortable they were in, in knocking them off and um it's it's just going to continue to be a car crash, I think, for Barcelona. And I, I don't really know where they, they go from there. They have a couple of decent players coming through. I mean, uh, I hope I say this right. Uh, Pervy <laughs> has made the, the Spanish squad and he looks to be very good. Obviously, Pedri is going to be an incredible player. So with Frankie de Jong. So there's there still is things to work with. I don't think Minguez is as good as uh, people in La Masia are trying to make out. But again, he's capable, if, if anything else. The the Ricky Pooch thing has gone really, really weird in terms of he's one of those players that Barcelona are demanding should be playing, but the managers seem to despise him. So um, again, it's just one of those ugly things that rears his head uh, when teams are struggling. But uh, I think it's just going to be a disastrous season for them. I mean, seeing Barcelona fall down into the Europa League, I mean, I've been there as a United fan. It's not fun, but it's just not something you would ever expect. And it's very very likely to happen at this stage um and uh it's it's extremely entertaining i'll give them that but uh (laughs) it's also yeah it it is a bit depressing i think barcelona are one of those clubs that you always kind of hold in high regard and and put them on a bit of a pedestal because of their history and all of that Um, uh, and i'm not one of those usually who say oh god isn't it sad to see a big club struggling usually i'm all for that in a kind of a perverse way but um I didn't expect it to be this quick um and this kind of epic really. Um and uh I I I still don't feel sorry for Kuhn because he's a complete narcissist and he just you know, it's like he's just one of the like he's an extremely unlikable individual anyways and you know, he's one of the you know, he's 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 he has the confidence of Mourinho without the success, you know. It's like <laughs> You know, like, it's just You're bizarre. just describing
2: Dutch people there, though, right? Well, I mean? yeah, I mean, no,
1: I mean, some of them have it, you know. I mean, some of them have had the success. But McCutman, like, there's a very, like, you talked about everything. Fa- I mean, seeing Valencia fans, the joy and glee they take. I mean, every everybody just seems to despise it. Like, I mean, it's almost like an achievement to be that much hated by your former clubs, you know. For somebody who was a phenomenal footballer, it has to be said. Um, so... Uh, it's uh, it's it's going to be a car crash. That's going to be awkward to watch, but you definitely won't be able to take your eyes off it for the rest of the season. That's for sure. Mm.
0: On the Europa League point, um, I don't know if you saw, but Nate Silver's um, five thirty eight. You know that website where they do all the uh, club analytics and and forecasts. They're actually the favorites to win the Europa League, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is pretty impressive <laughs> when you consider they're not even in it yet. Which uh, probably just shows the the direct trajectory that they're going at at the moment.
1: Yeah, well Luke Young and Memphis Dubai have great records in the Europa League, so you can understand it, but um, <clears throat> I don't think it's what they would have expected this season. So um Yeah. Um I wouldn't be backing them even the Europa League, that's for sure. So um best luck to them. Couldn't happen a nicer club. Miss Kayon club. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's uh quickly turning our attentions to international football. Um another international break has come around the corner and I mean we. I think we've said it before, every single one of them now at this point under Stephen Kenny but surely, surely we'll find a win in this one against either or um or Qatar um, even though Qatar is uh, essentially a friendly, I think they are in with in with our qualifying group for the World Cup but in terms of the squad, um, a couple of um, absentees obviously, um Darragh Shea is disappointing to see that one uh, with his long term injury but Nathan Collins got his first start for Burnley at the weekend, so you would imagine he's more than capable to uh, to uh, make his international debut. Yep. Played well as in, well uh, in in one or both of these games. Um, Omar Mamedeli obviously has shown that he's more than capable of uh, of come of, of being thrown in um, for either of these as well. Um, I mean, probably the biggest talking point has been the selection of Will Keane, um from Wigan Athletic. A little bit out of the blue, um, I think he declared under Mick McCarty a couple of years back um, and has probably been in the sitting in the national pool um, for the past couple of years and he's been uh, selected for this one. He's, he's had a couple of decent games this season, um, scored at the weekend as well. I think he's up to four or five goals this season. 28 years of age um, and I'm sure you're very familiar with him all the way back to his uh, United days. Um, made a couple of appearances there, but I suppose it is... A little bit weird, considering he got the nod over someone like Anthony Scully, but it is cool to see uh, a, a new player being trusted in and hopefully one that might be able to to break our duct in front of goal.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not completely on board with it, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Such uh, a
2: ringing endorsement.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And listen, he was higher rated. That, uh, he was rated more highly than Michael Keane. Uh, in his young days at United, you know, and um, uh, we all know the good career Michael Keane has gone on to have. So, um, and had he not got injured, we ne- we might never have seen Rashford's debut uh, against Michelin. So, uh, he definitely was there thereabouts for United. But at this stage of his career, um, and when somebody like Anthony Scully at 22 has started the season so well, it's not really a Kenny type of move I would have expected. Mm. Uh, I think that's the thing that kind of. Not bothers me, but just kind of confuses me a little bit. Um, uh, it's it, if it was Mick, <laughs> you'd be like, "Well, yeah, that's what Mick does," you know. But um, with Kenny, we have <laughs> we have bought into this youth, you know, knowing young players, uh, you know, backing talent as opposed to experience. Uh, so when when you see somebody like Will Keane just kind of rock up. Not out of nowhere, because I think it's been discussed for about two years with him, I think, at this stage. Um, but, you know, um, seeing the start of the season Anthony Scully has had uh, and, and you know, what people are saying about him online seems to be really, really positive. So that would have been the type of Kenny move I would have expected. Mm. Um, but I suppose if he is going to fit Will Keane into a squad at some point, this would probably be the international break to do it, in terms of a, a, you would expect a, a relatively straightforward game against Azerbaijan. And... I think the Qatar game will actually be quite difficult. They have they've a very talented national team um, and have played really, really well in the past few years. Um, their league has come on leaps and bounds, so I think that'll be actually quite a tricky game. But again, it's just a friendly, so um, I don't think there's too much pressure on. But it's, it, it did still surprise me when it actually happened, um, cause just because it's, it's not really what I've bought into in terms of what Kenny is trying to do. I'll, I'll defend pretty much... of the moves he makes at this point in his Ireland career, but that probably wouldn't be one of them at this point.
2: Yeah, I have to to agree. It feels weird. Um, Like, the Anthony Scully one felt felt like there was momentum behind it. Um, It would have even felt more normal for him to have taken a punt on somebody from the 21s than this really out of left field. Like, not even left field. Like, I forgot that Will Keane had declared for us um, kind of forgot that he was a, a thing that existed even, <laughs> which is a little weird. Um, it, he, like, he, like, and listen, I know like, beggars can't be choosers. We're not exactly looking at the top six in the Premier League for our striking options. But it does feel a little weird that a guy from Wigan is going to be like the supposed saviour. Uh, it feels a little bit of a backward step when you see like Ida without having hit the back of the net. I think consensus is he's done a really good job, especially in the bigger games, and he's kind of grown into to, into that number nine jersey in that position. It felt like a little bit of a, a retrograde step. Um, and like you said, Andrew, just really uncanny-like. I mean, I know, listen, he's probably under pressure. He realizes that he needs some sort of result in the book. Um, but that, uh, that actually probably makes me feel less... Uh, enthusiastic and and hopeful about our better options if that's the best he can pull when he's pulling kind of a, a trump card f- from up his sleeve um, so yeah it it felt a little weird it it stood out um, other than that like you you mentioned on the on daily and Nathan Collins I'm hoping that 18% of the of one of the Ireland teams is going to be made up entirely of leagues of players which would be nice <laughs> uh, I'm going to keep banging that drum Mark Travers from minute so North Kildare add add another player in there I'll be happy enough ideally we'll have players only made up from the little corner of Ireland that I'm from eventually, uh, but I'll settle for the two lads getting a bit of game time this window. Um, like you said, and they look like, unfortunately, two kind of tricky fixtures. Obviously, the travel to Azerbaijan doesn't help. Um, coming back to Qatar, who gave us enough problems in the in the other game, in the away game, uh, to, to suggest that it's not going to be completely plain sailing. Um, I suppose anything at the minute looks a bit tricky uh, when we're in the position that we're in. I, I just don't know if I have the stomach for another bit of culture warring that's yeah. inevitably going to come like if it's all against Azerbaijan uh, at like quarter to six on Saturday evening and you know like Darren Maloney asks whoever in the studio and they have to kind of drum it up again like like I, you just love people to like buy into it but hmm. um like, you know, <laughs> I am still enthusiastic about what Kenny's trying to do. Absolutely. And you look at the you look at that squad and it's full of young players that he's brought through and players like Josh Cullen, who he didn't bring through, but who he's kind of entrusted as kind of a mm. central part of it. Um, and you're thinking that, yeah, we're on the right track. Um, and then you just kind of have that nagging feeling that you could easily just see two, one all draws out of this and it's just going to be back in the same position. So I hope not. And I hope Will Keane proves me wrong and scores four goals. Um, <laughs> against Azerbaijan be and be great, then, he? I think he'd be our top scorer then, wouldn't he? I think he'd probably be second in our all time ranking, nearly at this rate. Given like <laughs> what's going on, Robbie Keane on like sixty eight, and Will Keane on four. Um, but like I, I'm really I'm still retaining a level of hope hopefulness, if that's yeah. the right word. But um, I just don't have the stomach for the ensuing culture war that's going to come because yeah. even if we win both games, it's going to be all you were wrong to ever do Kenny Kenny's amazing. And I'm am absolutely in the, I even feel stupid saying this. I'm in the Kenny camp, like so fucking what that I'm in the Kenny camp, but mm. like, it's just either side is going to use whatever happens as justification for their position. And I just want us to be able to mm. like enjoy an Ireland game. if That's possible. Yeah. I think f-
1: what's going in his favor that maybe he didn't have before was when you look at that squad, a lot of them are in really, really good form. And I think I'll, a- he hasn't had that in the past. I mean, Duffy started the season mm. incredibly well. Um, you know, Josh Cullen has had a real impact at Anderlecht. Jason Knight playing well for Derby. Troy Parrott had a, another assist at the weekend. Um, maybe you'd question the form of Robert, Robinson and Ida, but Ida looked absolutely exceptional in the last international break. So did Omar Bamba Daly. So Bazunus looked brilliant throughout the season. Mm. So... There's, there's a lot to work with there as well for him, and I, I don't think Will Keane will actually start, if I'm being honest. I hope it'll be kind of Robinson, Eden, Parrott as a front three with Doherty and Stevens as the wing backs, with Colin and Knight in the centre. So, um, who knows? I, I think it'll be too much pressure to kind of bring him in and, and start him straight away as mm. the kind of saviour of Irish football when he's never even played for us before and has no real allegiance to us. So, um, I think if if he starts his kind of most informal Form 11, I think he'll be actually in good shape. Um, and there's still a very youthful look to that squad. Uh, so all in all, I, I think it's fine. It's just, yeah, the Wilkeen thing still kind of baffled me at the time a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the messaging going into this one seems a little bit different as well. I mean, I don't know if you saw Keith Andrews's, um interview on Off the Ball.
1: Yeah, brilliant, um, <laughs> Yeah,
0: this whole thing about the um, the poll the poll that was done um, and the response to that I think came out that eighty percent um, are reasonably happy with with Kenny and I think there is a kind of a, an increasing notion that although people who are probably spend too much time on Twitter fighting these culture wars um, whether you're Kenny or not there is probably a huge proportion of people in the country who watch Ireland and are probably happy enough with how things are going and they're not you know they're not you know. It's not life or death for a lot of people, um, as as it may feel like for us when when we're watching games and following it along on Twitter as well. Um, in terms of the squad, I mean, uh, fair enough on on, on Will Keane. Um, I think by all accounts, Anthony Scully absolutely deserved um, a call up, uh, and it's probably a little bit unfortunate not to get one. Um, I, I'm most offended, <laughs> if you want to say that, by by the persistence with Harry Arthur at this point. Um, obviously, mm. I mean, he's a he's a he's an experienced player. He's kind of bounced around the last couple of years, but he doesn't strike me as a player that's going to be involved at all at any point, um, unless he's just a fantastic guy in the camp, which he may well be, and I'm probably wronging him at this point. But, I mean, I look at someone like um, Conor Coventry, for example, who's, you know, been an absolute, you know, warrior for the under-21s over the past couple of years. I mean, he's starting in the Championship at the moment. Like, he probably deserves a, a chance. Um, obviously, Jason Malumbi hasn't found his feet yet at West Brom, hence, uh, hence his uh, exclusion. But Harry Arthur's uh, uh, persistence in the squad uh, continues to baffle me more so than, say, uh, Will Keane or or, or or someone like that. But, um, I mean, it does feel like the, the messaging going into this one... Is a little bit different. I think. I think everyone is kind of tired now. After all the the past international camps between uh, Pro Kenny and Anti Kenny, I think the poll probably spoke a lot to the vast majority of fans. I think the the, the crowd response as well uh, at the Games of Dia Viva probably uh, was a good example as well of of where pr- people are probably happy enough with how things are going, even if the results haven't spoken for it yet. And even some of the players I, I saw an interview with. With Matt Doherty on, on Irish Football Fan TV today, and I mean, he spoke lo- spoke glowingly um, of the management team, and just said, you know, everyone's excited to get into camp because they're they're being coached brilliantly, which probably um, is a testament to uh, the previous managerial uh, teams, rather than this one, which uh, which says a lot.
2: Yeah, I I, I think that's true. Actually, Kev, the, the mood music has improved. I think in in recent weeks, I think. You're bang on to point to that, uh, to the poll from OTB, but also from from basically anyone within the camp. I thought Keith Andrews was pretty good on off the ball as well recently. Uh, he did kind of a good hour on uh, on kind of a, a pretty in depth stuff about how he's felt it's gone so far, uh, where he felt it's gone well, and where he felt it went badly. Uh, the Matt Thority thing's interesting. I, I'd seen he did, he'd done the interview, I hadn't uh, seen what he'd said yet. And um, I think a two game window is going to help a lot as well. And um, like, we we grew up on two game international windows kind of got used to the rhythm of it because of covid they've had to accelerate this campaign three games is an awful lot you have to go through the whole rigmarole three times not just for the players but the news cycle of an ireland game and the kind of beats that you're hitting over and over again and i think that has led that hasn't helped with the fatigue element of kenny in or kenny out because it's not just gearing up to two big games there's Always an extra one thrown in there, and so far in this campaign, I really don't think that's helped. Kenny's on record as saying that he doesn't think it's helped us in a performance point of view, but just in terms of the public discourse, it just hangs around for an extra couple of days, Um and I, I think it, it hasn't helped in the levels of fatigue. So I'm hoping a two game window is going to be a little better, and um, that it might settle into a more normal rhythm of international football. Obviously, only results can do that, but I think I think you're right. The the mood music. Has been good. I, I dare say it's probably been a concerted effort from within the FEI to get that out, and um, because Keith Andrews could do the off-ball, in, like he's not doing that off his own back. Uh, the Matt Doherty thing—he has to be released to do that piece of media. I would imagine there is a concerted effort. To show, I'm not saying they're trying to drum up something that's not there, but I think what they are doing is they're going out of their way to show that people are happy in this camp, and that they that that, that there there is a collective effort together uh from, from players and management. And I think they're communicating that in fairness. And hopefully, as that poll is suggesting, people are starting to pull in, in the direction because the last thing you want really is this kind of short termism to take back over again and they just appoint whichever manager happens to be free at the minute, someone like Chris Hutton with all due respect to him mm. um just because he happens mm. to be free. Um you you hope that they're pulling kind of in the right direction. And I, I would say if I had to guess barring any sort of disaster uh, away to Azerbaijan and, and away to Luxembourg, at this point, I think Kenny will probably get another campaign.
1: Yeah, Kev, you talked about Harry Arthur. I I feel that Jeff Hendricks still being around, especially after his performance <laughs> in Portugal, is, uh, is another one for me who I don't really see as the future of Kenny's Ireland. Mm. Um, I know he's still only 29, but uh, he has quite a few miles in the clock at this stage for club and country, and he's another one of those when you see him announced in the squad, you kind of think, you know, somebody like Connor Coventry in particular would be a far more progressive option. Um, but in terms of the, you know, the PR surrounding Kenny, I, I don't have any issue with that. It feels like everybody believes what they're saying, and they're and they're really really behind him. Uh, I think he's been quite unfortunate when you have you know the previous manager commentating on his matches on sky sports. And there's just, there's been so much weirdness around, Mm -hmm. uh, his campaign that shouldn't really, he, he has to be dealing with and then COVID and there was just screw ups across the board. And we talked about the playoff match that, you know, could have easily gone differently and and probably bought him three or four years in the job as opposed to 12 to 18 months. But, um, he'll definitely get another campaign. Um, because it's it's becoming more and more clear what he's trying to do, especially with Azunu, yeah. uh, Obamadeli, and Ida. They're the type of players we expect a Stephen Kenny to to bring through to start in big matches against the likes of Portugal, etc. And I think they've shown that they're capable of of dealing with that. Um, and you know, we don't agree with all of his selections or all of his tactics, but there's there's enough to suggest that he's not just trying to be another. O'Neill or McCarthy's there's definitely enough change happening in the Ireland squad and that will always bring difficulty in the short term but I think in three or four years uh, we'll see an extremely competitive and strong Ireland team with a lot of experienced players who have a lot to give to the country and um, I think Kenny will be responsible for that even if he's not the one in the job at the time I think he'll he'll provide a good platform for Irish football, which we've probably haven't had for a while, um, and uh, I, I'm still extremely positive about what he can uh, produce with uh, this squad in the next kind of two years.
0: Great stuff! Pleasure is always led.
1: Respect,
2: you you respect, respect, man! Respect, you you respect, respect, man! Respect. You
0: so we leave it there so okie doke good night and god bless (laughs)